It's me, Febe Stard, a.k.a. the embodiment of an only hope for America. And welcome to another episode of America, the mini-episode. If you're just tuning in to my fantastic mini-episodes, as it turns out, Rush Limbaugh is dead, and, well, I'm still on the hook for killing all of those people with what I still say is snake oil and not snake venom. Was that a lot of weird things that you just heard? Well, then I suggest you go back and listen to all of the America, the mini-episodes, and you will uh, be able to catch up. They come right after the history episodes, about a week later, a literal week later, exactly a week later, and uh, they're pretty great. You find out a lot about me, and you hear very important readings from people from the revolution, and then you hear semi-important questions. So, not all bad. Some of the questions are bad, but... Well, you can judge for yourself. It's time for semi-important questions. Our first semi-important question comes from Little Connor from Manhattan, Kansas. Little Connor writes, Dear Mr. Thebadias, what kind of car do you drive? Signed, Little Connor, Manhattan, Kansas. Well, Little Connor, I drive a fully restored blue 1969 Chevelle SS. I saw one on the show Roswell on the WB back in the 2000s and bought one immediately after. I also have a black windowless fan that uh, is used for other reasons. Let's just say I need to sometimes bring a quote-unquote friend to a black site. Quote-unquote. Next question. Our next semi-important question comes from Little Daniel from Nashville, Tennessee. Little Daniel writes, Dear Mr. Thebadias, you regularly talk about the benefits of legalizing cannabis. When did you become so pro-weed? Signed, Little Daniel, Nashville, Tennessee. Well, little Daniel, I never wasn't pro-cannabis. America's politicians and my fellow businessmen turned their backs on it. It was the one time I lost a capitalist battle. Long story short, the logging industry people pushed for the cannabis criminalization and took advantage of the already racist feelings instilled in Americans to make said criminalization happen. So there you go. Not on me. If I had my way, all of our paper would be made out of hemp and all of our clothes and everything else because that's where a lot of my money is. Um, in hemp. And, and oil and several other things. I literally own almost everything. So, um, there you go. Next question. Our last semi-important question comes from Little Ingrid from Anchorage, Alaska. Little Ingrid writes, Dear Mr. Thebadias, have you ever been starstruck, and if so, by whom? Signed, Little Ingrid, Anchorage, Alaska. Well, Little Ingrid, as I am the most important person in America, I am usually never starstruck. But the one time I can think of was, uh, ah, yes. Sam the Eagle from the Muppets. Heavy drinker, great American. This has been Semi-Important Questions. Riveting stuff, as per the usual. Uh, well, America, I am, well, I'm currently out running errands. Uh, not all these episodes, as you have noticed, take place in the studio, and I, uh, well, I need to get things done. I'm a busy man. Currently, I'm at the bank. Um, why am I at the bank, you are absolutely asking? Well, um... All right, I'm going to cut to the chase. I need to make a withdrawal to pay off a judge so that I can get rid of these pesky murder charges that are, I mean, about 150 years old. But there's no statute of limitations on murder, so here I am about to try and make a withdrawal. Next in line. Oh, boy, here we go. Uh, you wouldn't by chance be related to two human beings named Richard with a Q and Carolyn with a B by chance. Yeah, I'm their mother, Tiffany with a seven. 
You my son's new boss? He said you might be coming into the bank today. Uh, yes, Carolyn with a B does indeed work for me, and he also signed an NDA when he got the job. I'm gonna have to have a talk with him. Um, but I need to make a withdrawal of, uh, uh, ten million dollars. All right, that requires a bank president to be present. Uh, I'll go get him. Hey, Nicholas! We need you up front! Nicholas! We need you! He'll be right here. Uh, all right, Jesus. Um, well then, I guess while we wait for Nicholas, the bank president, um, we'll go to commercial so I can maybe put some extra money in my bank account that I'm about to withdraw. We'll be right back. It's America, the podcast! Hello, America. It's me, Thabadise Astard, a.k.a. the embodiment of an only hope for America, and host of America, the podcast, which I am pleased to report has been featured as lucky number 13 on the list of the 25 best comedy talk shows on all of the internet, according to Feetspot.com. And I am pleased as punch. So follow the link in the description of this episode or head over to Feedspot.com to check out all of the wonderful comedy podcasts on the curated comedy podcast lists of Feedspot.com. And now, on with more commercials. And we're back, America, here at the Illuminati Bank off Burleson Road in Austin, Texas. Um, well, I'm still waiting for Nicholas, the bank president, here with, uh, Tiffany with a seven. You say that like it's weird or something. It is, Tiffany. It is. It just is. Well, I'm gonna go see what Nicholas is doing. Oh my god, I need to start going to the Dallas branch of the Illuminati Bank. Um, alright, while we wait for Nicholas, the bank president, uh, let's go to very important readings. today's very important readings, we hear from Dr. James Thatcher, a Continental soldier who served at the Battle of Yorktown and witnessed the surrender of the British. Dr. James Thatcher writes, At about 12 o'clock, the combined army was arranged and drawn up into two lines extending more than a mile in length. The Americans were drawn up in a line on the right side of the road and the French occupied the left. At the end of the former, the great American commander George Washington, mounted on his noble courser, took his station attended by his aides. At the head of the ladder was posted the excellent Count Rochambeau and his suite. The French troops in complete uniform displayed a martial and noble appearance. Their bands of music, of which the timbrel formed a part, is a delightful novelty and produced while marching to the ground a most enchanting effect. The Americans, though not all in uniform, nor their dress so neat, yet exhibited an erect, soldierly air, and every countenance beamed with satisfaction and joy. The concourse of spectators from the country was prodigious in the point of numbers was probably equal to the military, but universal silence and order prevailed. It was about two o'clock when the captive army advanced through the line formed for their reception. Every eye was prepared to gaze on Lord Cornwallis, the object of particular interest and solicitude, but he disappointed our anxious expectations, pretending indisposition. He made General O'Hara his substitute as leader of his army. This officer was followed by the conquered troops in a slow and solemn step, with soldiered arms, colors, cased in drums, beating a British march. 
Having arrived at the head of the line, General O'Hara, elegantly mounted, advanced to His Excellency the Commander-in-Chief, taking off his hat and apologized for the non-appearance of Earl Cornwallis. With his usual dignity and politeness, His Excellency pointed to Major General Benjamin Lincoln for directions by whom the British Army was conducted into a spacious field where it was intended they should ground their arms. The royal troops, while marching through the line formed by the Allied Army, exhibited a decent and neat appearance as respects arms and clothing, for their commander opened his store and directed every soldier to be furnished with a new complete suit prior to the capitulation. But in their line of march, we remarked a disorderly and unsoldierly conduct, their step was irregular, and their ranks frequently broken. But it was in the field when they came to the last act of the drama that the spirit and pride of the British soldier was put to the severest test. Here, their mortification could not be concealed. Some of the platoon officers appeared to be exceedingly chagrined when giving the word ground arms, and I am witness that they performed this duty in a very unofficer-like manner, and that many of the soldiers manifested a sullen temper, throwing their arms on a pile with violence, as if determined to render them useless. This irregularity, however, was checked by the authority of General Lincoln. After having grounded their arms and divested themselves of their accoutrements, the captive troops were conducted back to Yorktown and guarded by our troops till they could be removed to the place of their destination. End of very important readings. Well, there you have it, America. Another first-hand account of the surrender of the British after the Battle of Yorktown. And by a doctor, no less. Except he got one little thing wrong, or probably just, uh, sugar-coated it for history, was that <laughs> General Washington, as you heard in our last episode, was not very nice to the good General O'Hara. Nor should he have been. Simply put, the British can absolutely kiss our American asses. Wait, there are allies now? Oh, wait, that's right, duh. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> I have blood wine with the Queen at least once a year. It's at the Illuminati blood sacrifice, it's a whole thing. She's a very good joke teller, as you have probably heard in these very important mini-episodes. Or maybe I mentioned it in one of the main episodes. Who knows, maybe you should go back and listen to every episode of America the Podcast and find out. This has been Very Important Readings. Yet another amazing, very important reading. And I'm still here waiting for the bank president. Oh, oh, here they come. Tiffany, I've told you a thousand times not to scream my name across the lobby when customers are present. Well, how else do you think I'm supposed to get your attention? We have an intercom system! What could be so bloody important? Oh, fuck, Thebedi is starred. What the hell do you want? Nicholas Flamel? What the hell are you doing here? I'm the bank president. No, I mean, why are you working at a bank at all? You invented the Philosopher's Stone and can turn anything into gold. I don't have the stone anymore. I lost it to you. Oh, right. Uh, well, didn't you save any gold over the years? Uh, I got in a bad way in 1782 and lost everything and scrounged for work after that until getting this gig in the 70s. How did you lose everything? I bet against the American Revolution, all right? Fucking sue me. Well, I think I will, actually. But first, I need to withdraw $10 million to pay off a judge. So get to work. Come on, typey type type. Why don't you just use the stone to turn something into gold and give it to the judge? It'll be worth more than this $10 million withdrawal. Oh. Well, shit. That's actually a good idea. And something I think I'll do. But first, I still want that $10 million withdrawal. I need some, uh, walking around money.
Uh, fine. All right, America. Well, after I get this withdrawal taken care of, I'm gonna go buy $2 million worth of Taco Bell, probably swim in it, it seems like a cool rich guy thing to do, and uh, then probably turn a pile of something into gold and give it to this goddamn judge and get these goddamn murder charges dropped. Uh, so I'll see you next time. Well, I won't see you, I'll, you'll hear me, but actually I still will see you thanks to this, um, it's a, like a crystal ball that Santa Claus gave me about a hundred years ago for my birthday, and it enables me to see and hear everybody all over the world. It's like my own personal podcast of humanity. And do I abuse that power? Well, maybe. But you, the public, may never know. All right, um, good night and good fight. It's America, the podcast. This has been a production of Shui Media, all rights reserved. For more information, please visit shuimedia.com.